I was one of those believers that if you don't have 10K followers, you don't have the swipe up function, meaning you can't monetize. Mm -hmm. That is so far from the truth. I thought once I got 10K followers, they just come pouring in. It didn't make a difference. Rachel Joy is a trainer in NLP and master coach who built a six-figure coaching business in just a couple of years. I asked her to walk us through her business success, including her offers, her investments, great stories, and even her biggest mistakes. If you're an online coach, you will learn a ton about what works and doesn't in this interview. But you should know that Rachel's story did not start so rosy. Oh, well, easy for her. She's got this easy for that. She's got that. But now after listening to my whole story, well, it wasn't so easy. It wasn't easy for a long time. In this interview, you get to know her story of growing up with trauma, addiction, and low self-esteem. In fact, when we cut the interview down for the podcast, we chose to hold out on the deeper parts of her traumatic story, the parts that may be triggering for some of our listeners. But if you would like to learn more about Rachel's story dealing with addiction, spending time in a treatment facility, and history of abuse, you may gain access by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut, and you will receive the full video interview. My name is Ina Coveney, lead generation expert for online coaches, and I love bringing you the true startup stories of our favorite titans of industry. And today I'm so excited to share the wonderful Rachel Joy with you. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while going for a nice relaxing walk, hey, take your time. You deserve it. And don't forget to stop by the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with the bubbly, vulnerable, and master coach, Rachel Joy. This is The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney, the podcast where the self-made teach you to stop waiting to be discovered and prepare to be found. Hello, everybody. Today, we have the amazing Rachel Joy with us. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for being Hello. here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Me too. Um, as I was telling you, people want to get to know you in a really deep way. And you just started a podcast called Speak Louder. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be linking to it because everybody should go and listen to it. But before <laughs> we start, can you tell us really briefly what you do and who you serve? Ooh, this is a, such a heavy loaded question. I don't always know what to call myself because I'm like half business, half healing, a bit of both all in one. So what do I do? I guide women to own their power and step into their power so that they can create the life of their dreams. And that looks like a mixture of business coaching with the mind, body, spirit component, as well as certifying other aspiring coaches, healers, light workers, and service-based entrepreneurs in the powerful modalities of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, mm -hmm. EFT, emotional freedom technique, time techniques, clinical hypnotherapy, and life and success coaching. I, I'm, I actually love that description because it's really encompassing of this 
of healing the entire body and mind, right? It's not just here's your business strategy is you got to figure yourself out from the inside out. And um, after learning a lot about your story, um, I really want to start there. I want to start really early. Um, One question that I love to ask is before entrepreneurship was even in your sphere, right? Before you even knew that you wanted to do this, um, what did you think your life was going to be like? Can you think (laughs) Can you take us back to, to before let, let's start talking about early childhood. Cause I know you have a very, yeah. very rich childhood history that feeds into what you do now. So tell us what it was like growing up being you. So I had many dreams growing up. I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a singer. I danced competitively growing up. Um, I wanted to be an actress. These are all things I dabbled in, but gave up. I was always giving up on things. Um, Lack of confidence was the reason why I gave up. And then there was also the other part of me, which was obviously by programming of like, you know, go to school, get a good job, work hard type of mentality that was conditioning in my family, which was uh, becoming a doctor. I always thought I'd become a doctor or a veterinarian. Um, All those childhood you know, dreams or professions didn't pan out at all. Actually one did, that's a lie, one did. So when I was little, I did have a dream of becoming an interior designer, Mm -hmm. but uh, I was told that in order to do interior design, you have to be good at math. And I like, math is not my forte at all. Like ask me to multiply something, I cannot do it. Um, (laughs) That's just not who I am. And so I never even allowed myself to attempt that until after dropping out of university for psychology, I made a little detour and I decided to go into interior design, which was the same time I was teaching, taking my health coaching certification um, online. I was just kind of exploring my avenues to see where I end up. And I ended up as a coach <laughs> in my last year of interior design. I was an honor roll student. I was doing really well, um, but something shifted. I ended up at a Tony Robbins event and that was it just ended up taking me to coaching. So let's pause and really zoom in because in your story, and I'm going to put the links to your podcast where you get very, very raw. And in fact, the first place that I went to check out was your website. People should go to your about page and just read your entire story. And I will give people some background. Um, so when you when you were growing up, your mother was an addict, alcoholic, and you saw them going to treatment when you were and when you were a tween, when you were 11, 12 years old. And I want to know what was happening in your life at that moment? What, from the perspective of a child, what did you think you were looking at? What what, what were you experiencing? Oh man. So when my mom went away, uh, she went into treatment for 60 days nearby in Toronto. And I think it was- Did you know why? Did you know so why? I did started? when she went. So she, when she went away, I honestly didn't even know what alcohol was until that point. Like I was 11 or 12 years old. So I knew what alcohol was, but I didn't know that it could be a bad thing mm-hmm. um, because my parents kept it very, very hidden. Like the way that her alcoholism showed up was by having family friends over every weekend and just having parties together. And the kids were in the basement playing downstairs. So we didn't get to see a lot of it. Um, so it was only until I remember that like a day before going into treatment, I was sitting on my mom's lap and my mom had a drink beside her and she was, um, sipping on it. And my dad was like yelling at her saying, 
you know, you're supposed to be 24 hours clean, 24 hours clean. Like you can't do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Mm -hmm. And then that's when she was like, mommy, you know, Rachel, mommy has a drinking problem and I need to be 24 hours sober before I can go into treatment. And I'm going into treatment on blank day. Um, Up until then, I had no idea what addiction or alcoholism was or that alcohol could be bad. So that transpired into a lot of feelings of feeling different because I didn't know any other friends who were experiencing the same thing. Um, So I felt very alone. I felt very different, more so than I already did just naturally. Um, And it also actually caused a lot of separation anxiety. So suddenly I, at that time, I was like 11 or 12 years old. Suddenly I couldn't sleep out at my friend's houses. I would cry and cry and cry until my dad or somebody would come pick me up. Like I just didn't feel safe anywhere but my home. And even then in my home, I didn't oftentimes feel safe because as that progressed for about three, three years, maybe five, I don't remember, but definitely three years. So around the three-year mark, I was still suffering with separation anxiety. And, and during that time, I was left with my cousins to come and take care of us. Or I'd go sleep at my cousins. And same thing, just three years later, I'm now 15 years old and I'm embarrassed because I can't go sleep at my friend's house. Like that's a normal thing for a teenager to be able to do. And I'm always finding excuses and reasons why I can't sleep over because I don't want to be put in a situation where I'm going to have to cry to go home. At school, you wouldn't have known. I was really good. I was like, so it's really interesting. I was that girl who had friends around her who was, you might consider popular, but I never considered myself to have friends or to be popular. So I was very, even though from the outside, it looked fine. I was very, very self-conscious. I was very shy. Um, I always felt like I didn't fit in. And so those stories and beliefs just I was looking for all the evidence on why I didn't fit in rather than why I do fit in. Cause evidently it would look like I was fitting in, but based off of my story and everything I was experiencing at home, it felt like I was completely different and that I didn't fit in. At which point do you yourself take your first drink or try drugs for the first time? Yeah, that was, I was 15 years old. So fast forward, I lived with, um, you know, childhood trauma and then the, my teenage years, those were the small T's, which were compounding the big T's. Oh, just hit my mic. The big T's that happened um, when I was younger. So at that time, I was 13 years old. Um, I knew what drugs were in my mind at that time. Drugs were bad. You don't do drugs. I'm never going to do drugs because it, drugs have ruined my family. Um And so the big, the small T of that experience was that I, again, again, so compounded, again, felt very much alone, felt very different, felt like my family was broken and pulled apart again. That was a theme I had growing up was that my family was just different and broken Um, because my mom went away and my brother went away. And then later, later on coming to graduating high school, uh, my parents did separate for some time. They are now happily married, they stayed together. And there's such an amazing example, in my opinion, of what real love looks like, because it is hard work, which some people think it shouldn't be. Um, I think it's easier to stay. It's easier to divorce or break up a relationship than it is to stay together and actually work it out. So I admire them for that. But to answer your question, I started drinking when I was 15 years old and then 
my first joint was 16 years old. And I actually think that's a little late. I know a lot of people who start around like 12 or 13, but I was living in so much fear of drugs being bad and what they would do to me that I held off for as long as I could. And the thing that made me say, okay, fine, I'm in is I was so uncomfortable with who I was. I was lacking confidence. I was lacking safety and security. And I just wanted to feel like I belonged and I was depressed and anxious, like so depressed from so many years of trauma and just feeling different that I just wanted that to all go away. And that for some time did make it go away. What do you think was happening during that year that made you wake up to this? Because status quo would have been just fine. You're yeah. out there doing your jobs, you're, you're smoking, you're drinking, you're doing all the things, you know, that somebody your age would just normally <laughs> do. You could have just continued on that path. What was the catalyst that made you say, no, 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 wait, I want something else? There were a few different catalysts. So the one was that I was just tired. I was so tired of living the way I was living. Like I was so freaking depressed and I would have used something more than just alcohol and weed. And I contemplated it a million times. But the thing that stopped me was fear fear of becoming addicted. Um, so that wasn't an option for me. So I, it was like, well, if that's not an option, what is, well, the opposite, give it up, do something different. The other catalyst was, um, my grandmother was diagnosed during that time with cancer and she was given only three months to live. And she thankfully lived over a year after that, but during the time they diagnosed her with three months and, um, My grandmother was one of my rocks during that time. So when there was so much chaos going on with my brother and my parents needing to cater to him, she understood what I was going through. Like she was being, she was able to, to hold the space for me to talk about it sometimes because my mom had a brother very similar to my brother. Um, so she's getting to live through it just through a different lens. So she was always there for me and she was also a professional dancer. So she, Um, we bonded over dance. She was just like an amazing bougie style woman. Like she would be at the four seasons bar every Saturday, just having drinks by herself, chatting to the bartenders. That's who she was. So, um, I knew that I would not be able to live with myself if I was still using by the time she passed away, because I wouldn't be able to really be present with her. And I was scared that I wouldn't be able to get over her loss as well. I'd love to honor the amazing contribution that your grandmother made in your life. What would you say to your grandmother right now if she was listening? Oh my God. What would I say to my grandmother right now? <sighs> I would say thank you so much for allowing us to have the lifestyle that we have today and that she has the most beautiful beautiful great grandson who I know she would just want to eat all up like my baby is like there's a part of her in there for sure like he's just amazing <laughs> I might be biased but <laughs> uh she I know I know just she has some type of role to play. And I know she's always with me as well. There's times where I just like, I'm like, oh, that's my bubby. I see her. So I see you, bubby. And we'll get to talk about your beautiful son, Nate, 
in a moment. <laughs> so don't worry, we are going to get there. So now you have this conversation with your mother. Can you tell us what happened in that conversation and what happened after? So my mom and I were getting in yet again, another fight. My mom was sober. She knew I wasn't. And so obviously as a parent, she's doing what she thinks is best, which is to say drugs are bad. You got to stop doing that, you know, get your life together type of thing. And I was just tired of having that argument. I was so done. And so I wrote her a letter explaining, I was like, what's going on? Like I would lie to her say, mom, you don't know what's going on. Like, I'm not doing that. Like I would push it off as much as I could but she knew what was going on. <laughs> She's a mom. Of course she knows what's going on. Um, so I wrote her a letter because I was too scared to have the conversation. And I said, you know, you're right. This is what's going on. Um, and I don't want to live like this anymore. So obviously the letter led to a real in-person conversation. And I remember in that conversation, I just said to her, she's like, why this letter? Why now? Kind of thing. And I said, I know I have greatness within me. I want to be great. I just don't know how to be great. And that was something that was truly true. Like I grew up, even as a young kid, when I was choosing all those various careers, knowing that there was something more for me, like throughout my entire depression, I, there were times when I contemplated on taking my life, but I never did because I, I knew there was a reason why I was here. I just didn't, I couldn't figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, so I said those words and then I think within like a week I was on a plane to Salt Lake city mm -hmm. for treatment. So after treatment, you go back to school, you think to yourself, well, interior design, right? Like you were saying in the beginning, interior design, that seems to be like the thing. Can you tell us just what the transition was between you thinking, okay, I'm going to be an interior designer to wait a minute. This is not it. I mm. would like to do coaching. And I know there's a Tony Robbins influence in yes. there somewhere. So tell me what happened in that transition from interior design to coaching. So I was in my graduating year of interior design, um, honor roll student, absolutely loved it, had started my own interior decorating business while I was in student. That way, when I graduate, I can just raise my prices and already have everything booming. Like I was, I always had that entrepreneur mind. So I was already building that up because I totally thought that's where I was going to go. Um, and then I was following Crystal Fuentes, the ladies coach. Um, she's somebody who I still love and adore today. And she was doing a giveaway for a free ticket. And for a free ticket to UPW Unleash the Power Within. I had no clue who Tony Robbins was other than the Netflix video. Like I didn't know he was that big of a coach um, or an influence even. And I just applied because I was like, there's no way that I can be, I think it was around 24, 25 at the time, but there's no way I can be this young with having my life figured out this much and be this happy. Like either I'm gonna die early <laughs> and this is my peak or there's more. Like again, that sense and craving for more because I had an amazing relationship. We're about to get married. I'm about to graduate. I have my business. Like I had everything and I was happy, like truly happy. So I was like, there's gotta be more than what's than just this. So I applied and I won. I didn't even know what UPW was. I was just like, okay, well, if it's meant for me, it's meant for me. I won, I went to UPW and when I was there, um, I saw Tony intervening on a woman who had experienced sexual abuse just as I had. And so I felt really connected to her story. And I was just crying tears of gratitude. Cause like when you're in the victim mode, when you're stuck in the story, 
it's painful. And so I felt her pain. And then to watch her go from that pain all the way to like freedom and victory through that intervention process just made me so happy. Because as I was watching that process unravel, I was already cheering for her. Like I knew that was available to her because I had already experienced it. And so it was in that moment where it's like, oh my God, I'm not supposed to be an interior designer. (laughs) I need to go back to what I was doing originally, which was coaching. By that time I had my health coaching certification, um, wasn't doing anything with it. I didn't have the confidence to build an online business at the time. Um, So that was really the start. I came home, changed my Instagram bio to coach. I honestly wasn't doing anything with it other than just making inspiring posts. So nothing came of it until December of that year. So that was like, I don't know, that was March or April, March. It was March. The very first UPW I went to was March in LA. Then December, we went to date with destiny for our honeymoon. And that was when I was like, okay, I'm still not stepping up. I'm still in fear. I need to take massive action. Um, So that's when everything really started was December. December, 2019, December, hold on. Give me a second. Let me do the math. 2018, December, 2018, 2017, 2017. 2017. I, so December, 2017 started my business in the beginning of 2018. All right. So this is where we're going to talk about all of the fun stuff that the online coaches are going to be geeking over, <laughs> which is, I would love for you to tell us the story of your a mighty successful coaching business from the beginning like like it's a baby like Ooh, so tell us like this. tell us what happened you know, and, and we want these are the things we want to hear about okay. your investments right like coaching programs or products or things that you were trying things that were pivotal points that you're like yeah. things just clicked after that and you know this is what I did we would love to hear about any launching stories that were either really bad flops or really high highs. So <laughs> I've got it all. <laughs> tell us, tell us the story of your success from that moment, from that December 27th. Okay. So December, I came home, hired my very first coach. Uh, it was around a $15,000 Canadian investment, more like 12 or 13 K us. Um, I had no clients at the time, no job. I was fired from my corporate job. Like a month before attending date with destiny. And so no job, no clients, only $2,000 in my bank account, but I knew that this was for me. So I was like, this is what I got to do. Like worst case scenario, I'm $15,000 in debt. I'm sure I can make a comeback from that somehow. Um, so made that investment, started my business, started it with the typical building an online course, putting out my offers, doing a three-day challenge. And nothing really was sticking. It, it felt slow. It definitely felt slow. Um, but I kept showing up and I kept showing up and I kept showing up and I signed my first client around three months, month three. I had a few one-on-one clients continue. Like once I got one, it kind of started to pour in because it's like that confidence comes in. Um, how much were, if you don't mind sharing, how much were you charging for your service? Great question. First, so my very first client, I charged 1111 US dollars, 1,111. And I just continued to increase every single time because I knew I was undercharging, 
but I didn't have the confidence to sell higher packages. So I went from 1111 to 2200 to 3300 to 4400 to 5500. I stayed at 5500 for a while until I felt, you know, qualified or the value I was providing really resonated with what I wanted to ask. Um, and now I don't even do one-on-one coaching unless it's a $10,000 package or more. It depends on what what we're doing. I do one-on-one coaching in a very unique way now, but back then I stayed at 5,500 for a while. So your back, back in the 5555 stage, what were you doing at the time, uh, you know, to grow your audience? Like what was your focus to continue to grow this? I did tons of live videos, tons of live videos almost every day, I think. In your personal personal Facebook or like Instagram or like, what were you doing live streaming? Both. I was doing on my personal Facebook and then copying that over into my Facebook group and my business page. And then also live on Instagram. Um, I was also working with a social media agency to get me to 10 K followers. This was not a bot process. It was like, they actually get you targeted followers. It's all manually done. So it was quite expensive. Um, but I wanted that because I was one of those believers that if you don't have 10 K followers, you don't have the swipe up function, meaning you can't monetize. Mm -hmm. That is so far from the truth. I thought once I got 10 K followers, they just come pouring in. It didn't make a difference. I'm glad I have it because it's an additional function, (laughs) but it didn't make a difference. So if you're listening, thinking you need followers, no, you just need to have a good quality connection and relationship with your audience. I, um, I, and I just say, just to double down on that, I made it to my first six figures without ever cracking a thousand followers in any of my accounts. Yeah, there you go. And I have so many clients who have done that as well. But yeah. for some reason, I just like my coach I hired had more than 10K and she would tell me that, but I'm like, I didn't believe it. Cause I'm like, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say you have 14,000 followers. So I didn't believe it from her. Um, so I had to learn the hard way, but Hey, I, it's not actually the hard way. Cause I did get a return on my investment. Some of those people did turn into clients. Right, right. Um, it, I just don't think it was probably the smartest investment. Mm-hmm. Um, so was doing all the things, showing up consistently, putting content out there, hit my first 10 K month in six months, started kind of taking an egotistical approach and talking all about success and money, like you see in the online space. And my business started to thrive even more um, until it wasn't thriving anymore because that just wasn't aligned for me. Like I wasn't, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to talk about money and brag about money. I'm here to help women step into their power. And as a byproduct, you receive money. And so I was forgetting about that part because I was just getting wrapped up into it all. Um, And so I, later that year, I, created a mastermind, a high ticket level mastermind. It was around 20 K. I don't even remember exactly, but $20,000. And I was still learning a lot about being unattached to the outcome and money goals and why you ask or why you want to receive a certain money goal, stuff like that. And I was totally accepting the wrong people into the program. Like I was just making customized payment plans, doing smaller deposits. Like I was letting people put down a $500 deposit on a $20,000 program. 
That doesn't make any sense. That's not a right, smart business move. Um, can you can you pause right there? Because I think that's such an important point that people say, well, if I lower my prices, then it makes it possible for more people to come in. And what I tell them is actually your price determines the kind of people that yeah. come in. It's not like you are pricing it for the same kind of person, depending on your price, you will reach different people. So what was it like? Tell us a little bit more of like of that pain of, you know, underpricing too many payment plans and the quality of people that you get in. How did you realize that, that this is so not my people? That, yeah, what happened was it basically crumbled and burned right in front of me. Um, and how it crumbled and burned was I was on a very luxurious amazing still the best vacation I've ever been on with my husband to Australia and New Zealand we were living it up we took a private charter to with Sundays Islands like doing all the things and it was amazing but I was so stuck in my work like when the one our cruise I went we went on a New Zealand cruise and my husband's watching dolphins jumping up right beside our boat and whales and I'm just like in my phone dealing with complaints from from clients who are saying that they can't pay their bills and they have to back out of their contract um which is not a place you want to be especially not on vacation and if you're on vacation you want to be able to turn off which i now have a team and more mindset practices behind me if that ever happens which i don't even get payment failures anymore thank god um because of that like you mentioned you increase your rates and you increase your worth and you attract a certain client but at that time i was having payment failures. I was having contract disputes and I actually decided to pull the plug on the program. I was like, I can't, this is too much effort, too much pain. And I can't move forward with this much uncertainty Mm -hmm. if the other remaining people are going to pay or not, because I know that they're not fully at that level of commitment either. So I pulled the plug. I took um, a month or two to kind of break it all down to build it all back up from a place of alignment. Cause I saw my part in this, like, it wasn't just, why is this happening to me, to me, this is happening to me because of how I'm showing up and my messaging. So let's re reapproach my messaging. Let's actually walk the walk, not just talk the talk and do the NLP work on me. I was certified as an NLP practitioner, but I wasn't even doing the work with my clients because I wasn't confident in actually practicing the techniques. Mm-hmm. okay, where's that going to get you? So, so I started, um, I took like a month off. I was still showing up online, but I wasn't selling anything. And I was behind the scenes. I was really going deep into myself and using my tools and practices in LMP that I had to release those limiting beliefs around my money mindset, what I'm worth, what people can pay, that it can be easy, um, what my brand messaging is that I can lead, I can lead with authenticity and transformation and still have success. You know, like money doesn't have to be the driving factor because there's a lot of that in the social media world. And I was getting caught up in that. And I was like, well, if I'm not selling money, what am I selling? That's going to get people to come in. I felt like if I wasn't doing that, then people weren't going to sign with me. Mm -hmm. Um, So really just busting down all those limiting beliefs and programming. And in that time, naturally, as I was doing that work on myself, people were coming, starting to come my way. Like I didn't have to sell myself. They were suddenly saying, hey, Rachel, how can I work with you? And so from there, I just started skyrocketing and growing and growing and growing. During that time when I was kind of sitting, I did have the vision of Transcend Academy, which is my coaching certification. Um, 
I, so I was like kind of looking, not just at myself, but at the industry. I was like, what needs to change? Like what's going on here? So I created this idea. I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could create something where people are getting coached, they're getting qualified because there needs to be qualified coaches out there. They need to know how to do the work that they can get the business support they need in order to grow their business. And they can have the immersion and transformations that I was so lucky to have. Like everywhere, the biggest transformations happened in Tony Robbins, as you know, um, treatment, all these immersive experiences. So I was like, how can I create this container? And I kind of held the vision on that. I knew it would happen one day, but I didn't know like how it would happen and stuff like that. So I let, put it on the back burner um, and then made more investments. I was in a mastermind. So you said you wanted to know investments. I was in a mastermind, which was more of like a healing retreat mastermind. It was business marketed, but truth be told, there was no business support at all. So I was like, okay, well, I need to learn business somewhere. So I joined Chris and Lori Harder's mastermind, Fast Foundations mastermind at the time. And that gave me a strong foundation on online marketing. I knew a lot of the stuff already, but it was a great scrub up. Scrub up. When you join a mastermind, you're also joining for connections. Right. That, I would say that's the most valuable part. It's not what you learn from the coaches. It's the connections and the networking. Um, so I joined that and I don't even know where I started hosting events with one of the girls, one of my great friends who I met in that program. We started hosting events. And then from there, I just brought Transcend Academy to life. And that's been my thing ever since. I love it. And actually, can you describe for us what are your current offers? People are listening. They're like, I need to work with Rachel. Yeah. What are the ways for people to work with you right now? So more than what are the ways to work with me, I want you to look at this as trial and error. I have so many programs, so many offers. It took a lot of time for me to figure out what was my thing. Um, so ways that you can work with me now, I've now narrowed it down. It used to be, you could work with me in every way possible. Now you can't. Um, so we have bliss biz babe live, which is a two day event on online marketing for female entrepreneurs. We have transcend Academy, which is a immersive coaching certification. Um, sorry, I should correct that. We've just added, updated the curriculum. It's now a trauma informed immersive coaching certification and it's board recognized, which is super fun. Um, and then one-on-one -on -one coaching in the form of a breakthrough day. The breakthrough day can be either a one day or a two day experience. The one day is all subconscious programming, limiting beliefs, going through all that stuff so that you can step into your more empowered identity. Mm -hmm. And then day two, if you do the day two, uh, the two day one is all around business strategy, structure, clarifying your offers, looking at your copy, looking at your landing pages, looking at your systems and implementing what needs to be implemented so that you can scale easily and sustainably. And what is that one called? The breakthrough day. Breakthrough day. All yeah. Right. How has the pandemic impacted uh, you know, your ability to hold like, your live events and stuff like that? I know, right? Yeah. So, okay. I was really bummed around this time last year when it was announced because I was just about to host my first Transcend Academy immersion, which obviously went virtual. Um, and I'll be honest, we did such a fantastic job that I'm even contemplating on whether Transcend Academy should still be um, in person or not at the practitioner level. That is master practitioner has to be in person based off of how we've curated it. But the practitioner level, there's like 
apart from us being in person, having it be so fun together, there's almost like no reason why it can't be done virtually. So um, something I'm playing with, we'll see him on that one. Uh, Bliss Biz Babe, I've postponed until this year. I'm now doing it virtual again, just because in the in Canada, it's very hard to get in and out of the country right now. Like you guys probably wouldn't, unless you're Canadian, I don't think you're able to get in. I, I can't um, even leave my house. So. <laughs> So I've been doing everything virtually, but I am really excited to be able to um, be in person again, because I truthfully believe that there's nothing like the power of in-person events. I'm sure you can understand that having gone to Tony Robbins in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So Um, what do you think it's coming up next for you? What is your next big mountain? Oh, two things are coming up. So what's next for me is I'm in a really good place with Rachel Joy. There's really no next steps for Rachel Joy. We're on a trajectory right now where we're just about to kick off the first master practitioner level. And then as soon as that rolls out, we'll be kicking off the trainer's training so that if you want to create your own certification, we'll teach you how to do that and how it can become board recognized as well. Um, I'm really big on ethics, morals, and values in the coaching industry. So it's important to me that it's board recognized. Uh, so that's like Rachel joy as of right now, that's my vision. I don't see anything else, but my husband and I do have a vision to start another business. So we are currently working behind the scenes on an athletic line, um, with like some type of, I don't want to get spilled the beans too much because we're still working it out, but, um, some type of lifestyle component will be involved in there as well. Nice. So, um, can you tell us what is the biggest misconception? that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? So two things are coming up. I've been told a lot of the times that I can be intimidating. <laughs> I'm like I'm like the most <laughs> nicest non-judgmental person ever. <laughs> like I, my friends in treatment were, you know, in jail for dealing heroin and I don't judge them. I love them. I don't think any less of them. So I wouldn't, go with intimidating but I think that's just because my success kind of threatens them and they they find themselves on the comparison reel the other thing was what was the biggest misconception is that I think it's so often again and related to comparison people look at you and they're like oh well easy for her she's got this easy for that she's got that but now after listening to my whole story well it wasn't so easy it wasn't easy for a long time. And even now I'm still going through stuff and always learning and growing. Right now, my life is, is an easier part of my life, but it hasn't always been easy. That's for sure. Yeah. And um, before I get to the last question, actually, I said that we would come back to Nate and we ran out of time. <laughs> Can you just tell us something amazing about your son? My son is a catalyst for more healing. Um, he... Actually, I had quite a traumatic birth experience with him. I love him to death, but it was not what I expected at all. And so uh, he reignited a lot of childhood trauma for me, like reactivated it. So I thought I had done all the healing. I thought it was fixed. You're never fixed. There's just times in your life where it's going to come up. So I'm in that next layer. Over the past year, I've been in the next layer of that healing again. Um, So... I love him to death and he's such a gift because the, I mean, it's not fun to do the healing, but 
you learn so much about yourself and it takes you to so many more beautiful places when you do commit to that inner work. So his name is Nate Nathaniel. It means God's gift. I did not know he was going to be a gift in that sense. He's a gift in many ways, but that's one of the ways he's definitely a gift is allowing me to be a better mother and a better human being all around by being a catalyst for the unit work. I think he's going to grow up to be an amazing human being, having you and your husband, Dan, as role models and examples. So there's no doubt in my mind, he's, he's a very, very lucky kid. And mm -hmm. I know that you are going to just be just fine. I, I really you. believe that. So um, <clears throat> why don't you share with us if everybody who's listening right now had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that thing be? <laughs> I'm like, oh, they might hate me for this. Um, this is going to be look different for every single person. Um, that one thing that's on your mind right now that you are like, should I, shouldn't I, maybe I should take that step. Whatever that thing on your mind is that you're feeling the fear around, or you're not sure if it's for you, if it's in your mind, it's for you. So my challenge for you is to just go and do that go commit in the next 24 hours to signing up for that coach, purchasing that program. And maybe it's to sell your house and chase that dream of living the van life. I don't know. I see a lot of people doing that lately. <laughs> Not my thing, but whatever that dream or that thing is that you're being called to just go answer the call. I love it. Rachel Joy, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us. Thank you so much for having me. Hey there, Ina here. After this episode, you may be wondering how you can also achieve the kind of success that our guest has experienced in their entire career. So hit follow and subscribe to catch me on Thursday for a brand new lesson on how to grow your coaching business, even if you have a small audience. And if you'd like to hear the full interview with all the details that only the super fans care about, get free access to all of our uncut interviews by going to theglobalphenomenon.com slash uncut. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to The Global Phenomenon with Ina Coveney. Join the conversation inside the Facebook group at theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook. Listen to new interviews every Monday and learn with a companion episode every Thursday. This podcast was created by Ina Coveney, music by Jared LaBelle, and this was the voice of Kip Clark.